Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Last week, we talked about the first five days in creation, and today we're talking about the sixth day. We're talking about the pinnacle, really, of creation, when God created man. And uh, I would say today in our culture, we are undervaluing humanity. Our culture is undervaluing humanity, and not just in American culture, but worldwide. You know, it was a few months ago where Iceland had reported that they had per- almost completely eliminated Down syndrome from their country. Well, what they actually had done is not cured Down syndrome. What they had done is institutionalized the abortion of children with Down syndrome. So kids aren't being born with Down syndrome because they're being executed in the womb because they have Down syndrome, right? So we have things like that happening. We have abortion rates that are skyrocketing in America. We have euthanasia, which is very prominent in, in, other, in some European countries, the ability to euthanize the elderly, which is also gaining steam in the United States as well. And we're, our culture is devaluing humanity, and we need to be on guard about that because the Bible tells us that God created each one of us in his image. And... Uh, Everyone, until the Lord calls you home, has something to contribute. Now, I've seen people waste away from cancer. I've seen Alzheimer's take its toll on people. And it's, it's you know, we want to fix things. We want to fix things. And so we see the way to fix that is by ending that life, terminating that life. But that's not our place. That's not our place. God gives life. God takes life away. So today we're talking about undervaluing a little bit of, of humanity, undervaluing um, um, the creation of man. I'm talking about how our culture addresses that. You know, what, what some would say is an enlightened, intelligent uh, way to approach creation and to approach humanity uh, is wrong. And uh, we, we go to the Bible for our source because in the beginning there was God, we learned last week, and then God created man. And so who to go to about these deep, deep ethical questions than God himself, right, who created us in his image. So we'll be talking about the pinnacle of God's creation, that's us, and how he has given us rule over the world. That's the first point I want to talk about today as we get into the sermon, but As we prepare, let's just pray and ask God to bless our service. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we thank you for your word. Your word is life. And Lord, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dig in today, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, and we would receive from you what you have intended through your word. Spirit of God, would you illuminate the word? Would you open our understanding to it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Start with me in chapter 1, verse 26, the creation of man. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. My wife loves every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. 
No, she executes creepy things. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall eat them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. God is continuing his goodness throughout creation, right? We already learned in the first five days when he made the heavens and he made the earth and when he made the plants and he made the seas, everything was good. And the goodness continues as he creates man and woman in his image. It is good. It is very good. Now, um, there's, you know, people have a lot of accounts of creation and a lot of the accounts of creation are made to basically make allowances for science, right? Biblical accounts. So we take the Bible and we say, okay, now we don't know really how long a day is, right? A day could have been eons to God. We don't really know. Well, we kind of actually know if, if we look at the Bible and we read it, the plain, simple reading of scripture says that there was the sun up and there was the sun down and that was one day, right? And so the case for a day being many thousands or even millions of years long actually is an addition to the Bible. There's no biblical evidence of that. We serve a very, very big God. And in, in, in our attempts, and since the very fall of man, we have tried to kind of put God in an understandable box. But God is before us. He is beyond us. He existed before all time and all matter. And so to try to put God in some understandable scheme of things where we just give him credit either for the initial start of life or we explain away the six days of creation, we are then going outside what the Bible explains to us, right? We believe in a literal six-day creation because the sun came up and the sun went down and that was the end of that day. And in one day, God created humankind, all right? He created all the things. He's a big, big God. And I think when we make God small, we do it to our own detriment. We make him small and try to make him understandable. I'll tell you, I don't want to serve a God who I can figure out, right? I mean, he needs to be bigger than me, right? He needs to be bigger than me, and he is bigger than me. And, and when we plain read scripture, right, that's the best, that's where we start for sure. There are definitely confusing passages, but beware of of uh, creation uh, theories that deviate from the clear reading of Scripture. But God said he made everything very, very good, including humanity. The image of God is understood as mirroring God's attributes. How are we made in the image of God? Does that mean God looks like us? Not necessarily, right? Nobody knows what God the Father looks like. Now, we know what Jesus looks like right? Because Jesus walked the earth, right? We have an idea, and he probably doesn't, you know, he's probably not the Renaissance painting Jesus that we see in these museums and churches throughout Europe. He's probably not that guy, 
But we have an idea that he, you know, Jesus came to show us the Father. He mirrored perfectly the attributes of God. A.W. Tozer uh, writes a wonderful book called The Attributes of God. And it talks about how, uh, it, it actually it's called the knowledge of the holy, but it talks about the attributes of God. And, and that's important for us to understand because if we're to look like Jesus, we need to follow the attributes of God. We need to look like him. We need to understand what those are. And because created in his image means that we mirror Christ's attributes here on the earth, right? How many have ever heard, you might be the only Jesus people ever see? You ever heard that before, right? Because when you are going to work or you're at your co-op or wherever you're at, you represent Christ. And we are called to mirror the image of God wherever we are. Now, all of humanity is made in Christ's image, in, in the image of God. All of humanity, whether they worship Jesus or not, they are made in the image of God and by default have, have, have worth, have value even our enemies. But in Jesus, we see the true image of God. He came to show us the Father. He perfectly mirrored the attributes of God. Being made in God's image also includes these different ideas of our relational nature, that we were created to not be alone. After all, God is not alone. God is a trinity, right? is a mystery of faith. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. God is a trinity. He said, let us make man in our own image. Right? God did not create us either to be alone. God lives in perfect community with the, within the trinity. And we are to also live in community. We are created to be in a relationship. This is where, as Christians, we should really be wary of online church. Or a church where we just attend virtual church, right? Because you're still, at the end of the day, you're alone in front of a computer watching that. There's no community. And God has designed for us to be in community, especially as believers, to demonstrate to the world that it is possible to come together even, even with all our differences and everything that would, would seem to divide us. We come together under the banner of Christ and we are in unity and we are in relationship with one another. Now, because God values human life, he sets it apart. Creation of man is the pinnacle of creation. We are not the center of the universe. We are not the most important thing in the universe. God is. But we are over the rest of creation. This is probably where Peter and I really disagree, right? This is where, you know, you know animals are not people. Dogs are not people. I don't like the term fur baby, Right? Like, you know, people talk about our dog, and he's cute. He is adorable. Right? But he is not my fur baby. Right? He is a dog. I don't leave my baby alone for eight hours while I'm doing this or that. I don't leave my dog alone for eight hours anyway, but I don't leave my... You wouldn't leave a baby alone for an hour. All right? Uh, dogs are different, and they have a different value. And so, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals, animals uh, for a lot of people are for eating. Okay? And maybe you don't think so. Maybe you're a vegetarian. That's cool, too. That's cool, too. But we, as human beings, are not on the same par with animals. Okay? And what's the evidence for this? What's the evidence that humanity is the pinnacle of creation? 
God says in the Bible he knows all of his creation. Obviously, he knows it all, right? Because he spoke into existence. He rose the mountains out of the ground. He, he, he made the seas. He knows every molecule that's in your body because he created you from nothing. So, yes, he knows creation. He knows your dog, right? He knows your cat, even cats, even though I'm pretty sure those are Satan. <laughs> right? That's part of the fall, right? So you got cats and you got dogs. And, you know, God knows all the animals, says he owns the cattle on 10,000 hills. That's because God loves meat, right? <laughs> but we in creation are unique in the fact that we know him back. We know God back, and we represent him. We are made in his image. Your dog is not made in the image of God. Your, your dog will never know God back. The cow out there that's tomorrow's dinner will never know God back, Right? We are unique in all of God's creation because he knows all of his creation, but only we know him back. We are created in his image. We are created to represent him. We are created to rule over the earth, all right? And even, even the angels who were created, the Bible tells us that one day when we are with Jesus in heaven, whether by death or his second coming, we will rule over all of creation with Jesus, including the angels, right? Now, this is really out, like, this is a whole nother Bible study, which I'm sure we'll get to in like year three, so stay tuned, okay? But as we get into Revelation and the New Testament, we'll be talking more about that, but God has a special, you know, we're, each one of us is special to him, and you think about it, he, he created us that we might he were created to be in relationship with him, not because he needs us, but because we need him. The almighty God of the universe, we are alone created in his image to rule over the earth. Everything, every green plant, every seed, every fruit given to us, even the kiwi, given to us by God. That thing's nasty. I don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's got hair on it. I don't eat fruit with hair on it. <laughs> Point number two, we bear God's image in how we work and in how we rest. Go with me to chapter two of Genesis. It says this, verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and, on, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Go to verse, oh wait, well, it's verse 3 too. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on, on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now skip down to verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every living tree in the garden. And we'll get to verse 17 next week, okay? But the... The, the idea of work, sometimes we misassociate work with the fall, but this is pre-fall, right? So work is, a, is created by God to be a blessing to men, right? Now surely the toil and the torment uh, of work and you know, how it aches and pains our body as, as we get older, that is part of the fall, but work in general is a blessing. I, I like working. Right? And I mean, I, I enjoy being your pastor. I enjoy uh, 
writing sermons and studying the Bible and reading books, but I really enjoy working with my hands, right? Like I'm like I enjoy for the last whole week I've been putting in lights, maybe 30 lights in our house, you know, and I'm there with the little multimeter, beep, 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 you know, I'm figuring it out and I'm putting it all in and I'm taking great care in it. And I must I put the kitchen light in, which really turned out awesome, by the way. <laughs> It turned out really good. I like the way it looks. I like where it hangs. And then I, I called Stacy, and I, well, I called her in like six times to show her, right? I'm like, look at the light. Pretty nice. Now watch this. Click. Watch this. Click. It goes off, too. <laughs> then, you know, then a little time had passed. I'd call her, and again, hey, did you see the kitchen light, you know? And then I'd put the sconces in in the hallway, and I'd show her, hey, what? Did you see the sconces? Look at this. Click, click, right? I like fixing things. I like creating things. I like making things. It's a blessing. And, you know, and you could pay someone to do some of that stuff, and, and uh, it's certainly possible, but there's something about doing a really good job and just, like, I'll sometimes, you know, I'll put something together, even if it's from Ikea, right? And, I mean, people knock Ikea. Let me tell you, the Swedes got it, man, right? That stuff is good, right? I mean, somebody figured out, some engineer figured out how to put all this in a box that usually fits in a Jetta, right? And, and that you get it home, and it's like the size of a wall, right? They figured this out. Now, there's a million little pieces, and it's a pain in the neck. But even after I put Ikea furniture together, I kind of like, and <laughs> I'm pretty great. You know, I like to look at it. I like to look at what I've made. And I like to look at a job well done. Because that's mine, right? And nobody cares about my stuff like me, right? You can hire somebody, but you're going to do the best job, right? We know this. And so work is, 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 you know, sometimes we get stuck in a job we hate. You know, we're in a place where we're just not right where we need to be, and we know it, and, and people are abusing us at work, and our boss isn't good to us. And, and these are times of stretching and growing. These are times where God has put, put us in a situation where we're to, to sanctify us, to work on us. Even in difficult situations, God is working. And when you work for the government or even a big corporation, you don't have a lot of say in where you're at and who your boss is. And many times you're what you think is a, you're in a, a position with an underqualified boss. Okay, Somehow, if you're a boss, you're always qualified. But somehow, people you work for, just they're not cutting the mustard sometimes. you know. And you're in a difficult situation and somebody's not being fair to you. I want to tell you that even in those situations, God has a plan in your life. You are valuable to him, you are created in his image, and he is stretching you and growing you. I have had, even in ministry, some horrible bosses. One in particular that was a really horrible guy. And, uh, uh, but I, I grew under him, because I had to. I had to. And God formed a lot of good habits in my life, uh, through even poor leadership. And so, uh, but work is before the fall. Remember that, and that God has given us work as a blessing. And just like so many other things in our culture and in our world, it gets twisted. It gets twisted, and we see it as a curse, but it's not. Our vocation, as in every form of work, is there to fulfill a, 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 an essential role in our created being and, and, you know, in our DNA to to be fruitful and productive. Adam worked the earth. It was his offspring who got lazy after the fall. And uh, we're going to learn more about the fall next week and, and as we dig into 
what the results of the fall were. Um, after God completed his work on the heavens and the earth, he rested. Not because he needed to. God did not need to rest. We need to rest. Amen? We need to take a break. And usually my day off is Monday. Well, Monday was moving day last week. Monday is also moving day this week. Right? And that's my Sabbath. And so, But today we have worked it out where my Sabbath is today. So I'm taking a break. I'm going on a mountain bike ride. I'm just relaxing. Right? But there is value in taking a day off. We get burnt out. We, we are reminded that we need to take a break. And God did this as an example to us. On the seventh day, he rested. And how does rest glorify God? It doesn't get anything done, right? I, sometimes I think, well, I could do this, God, and this, I need to do this, and this is going to be important for the church, and this is going to be important for our home. And, you know, of course, by taking care of my wife, I'm bringing you glory. But by humbling ourselves, honoring God, and taking a rest from our work, we are acknowledging that God is greater than we are. We are saying, God, I know that this is in your hand, that this is in your control. And I know, Lord, that you have designed a day of rest. You have designed for us to have a break. And, and that day of rest is not, I'm not getting all Sabbath on you, right? Where you can't go for a walk longer than 50 meters, or you can't flip a light switch, or you can't operate your toaster. I'm not, you know, there are rabbinical laws that forbid these things on the Sabbath, right? And we know that as Jesus is walking the earth, his his uh, disciples would pick grains and start eating them, which sounds disgusting to me, but I guess if I was really hungry, okay, right? And this was called gleaning, and this wasn't okay even on the Sabbath. We're not talking about that. Go for a walk. Enjoy nature. Nature reflects God's goodness. Don't get legalistic about it, but take a day off. Some of you, you can't stop talking about work, ever. You are always talking about work. You're always thinking about work. You need to take a break, you need to give yourself a day off. Is worship part of that day off? Yeah, right? Worship is part of that. But you need to disassociate yourself from work one day a week. Now, this is not very popular, but I think you should be working six days a week, okay? Like, we should all work six days a week and we get one day off. Now, if you are blessed and you get two days off, good for you. But God worked six and then he took one right? So if something comes up and you've got to work on Saturday, so be it, right? Or whatever it is. But you take a day off and make that day holy, right? Unless Trump is on the phone saying, hey, I need you to go to Niger today, then just take a break. Take a break. The world, the United States of America does not hinge on you. I'm sorry. Right? It does not, right? And, it, and, the, and the church does not hinge on me, right? We need a break. We need a day of rest. And God gives us this example. And when we rest, we reflect the image of God in the same way that when we reflect him in other areas of our life. Because God rested on the seventh day. Take a break. Man, the kids' church people are going to be really upset with me because I'm, I'm point three already. It's only 1130. All right. Go with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Stacy, you got to sing longer. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, surely, uh, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That was verse 18. Now go down to verse 21. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up a place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. This would be familiar to a lot of you because you've heard it on your wedding day. And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Being created in God's image sets us apart because we have capacity to be in a personal relationship with God. Both man and woman have the equal potential to be in a personal relationship with God. So what does this mean? Well, we believe, number one, that women can be called into ministry, right? That there is no... There's a Holy Spirit for men, and there's a Holy Spirit for women. We don't believe that. We believe there's one universal Holy Spirit, part of the triune God, who fills both men and women, and both men and women can preach the gospel. Both men and women can serve the Lord. We are created equally before God. However, we're not completely egalitarian on this. We're not completely on this extreme where uh, men and women share every single roles. We all every single role in every everything. We also believe that men and women have complementarian natures, right? That we operate on different levels. There was a book in the '80s called "Men Are from Mars and Women Are from Venus," right? I don't know anything about the book, but I love the title, right? But I have read other books about marriage and, and growing together. And the truth is how men and women react to situations, how they see problems is very, very different. And we're created to be different, to complement one another, right? And so uh, this doesn't mean that, that one is better than or more loved by God. And it, it's, we are all created in God's image, Right? We're all created in God's image, but we have different roles and different gifts and different abilities. Right? Sometimes there's some bleed over, but in a, in a family, there are uh, ways in which we're created that complement one another, that complement the raising of children, that complement the functioning of the home. Let me go back to verse 24 real quick. And, and I know we don't have too many unmarried young men in our church. But if you're a teenage boy, listen carefully. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. What should be the goal for young men? To get an education, for sure. To graduate high school. To maybe go to college, but for sure to get a job to get out of the house, then look for a wife. Unless you have the gift of celibacy, you should be looking for a wife. You should be, look, you should be interviewing people to make you unsingle, right? That's what you should be doing. But first, you have, to be, you have to be able to take care of yourself. Like when people come to me for premarital counseling and it's a young man and a young woman and the young man is still living at home. He has, he has a part-time job and lives with mom and dad, and is a semi-pro gamer, right? Video gamer. We got problems. 
how are you going to take care of your wife? You can't even take care of yourself, right? And if you young men want to go to some beautiful woman's father one day and ask for her hand in marriage, you better have a job. You better have an apartment. You better be able to take care of yourself because it doesn't inspire much confidence in a father when somebody's asking for his daughter's hand in marriage and he doesn't know how to take care of himself. He doesn't know how to cook. He doesn't know how to do laundry. He doesn't know how to do any of those things. And you think, well, cooking, that's a woman's job. Not in my house. Not in my house. That's my job, right? And that's not, you know, I could take care of myself before I met Stacy. And I think young men, you know, we think, that we marry and we marry our mamas and they're there to take care of us. That's not necessarily the truth, right? So young men aspire to learn how to do these things. It's important. Take care of yourself. And by all means, if you're not going to college, get yourself a job and move out of the house. You shall leave your father and mother and then you shall be given to your wife, right? Then you'll be able to take care of her, but you can't take care of somebody else if you can't take care of yourself. Soapbox over. Okay. But I think it's important. <laughs> now, we were created very good, the Bible says, but we know we don't live in a very good world. We know that the world is corrupted, and each one of us is also corrupted. And our relationship with God and our, our lives are distorted by sin. But since the beginning, God had a plan to restore our relationship. And when we trust in Christ, our sin is forgiven and it is removed from us. And in its place, we are given Christ's righteousness. Now, I've talked about this many times over the last several years, and that what theologians call this is the great exchange. Now, as Christians, we readily embrace the idea that Christ on the cross took away our sin, but we neglect the second part of the great exchange, which is in that exchange, we are imparted Christ's righteousness. The Bible likens it to like a robe put around us, right? We think back to the story of the prodigal son who was away, who left his relationship with his father and went away to do things on his own. How, does this sound familiar to anybody else but me, right? You leave your relationship with your father, uh, your heavenly father, and you go do things on your own, and you realize that you've made a mess of your life, and you come back, and you repent, and you turn away from your sin, and you embrace what your father was teaching you and trying to tell you and help you, and you make Christ your savior, Right? He takes away your sin, but then he also puts on you this wonderful robe of his righteousness. We are made right and holy and pure and blameless before the throne of God. Not someday, today. Today, and we live in a constant state of grace. Right? We live in a state of grace. You know what I hate in the morning is when I get up and I hit the coffee button. I have a full coffee automat because, you know... I'm embracing the culture, right? And so I hit a button and it grinds some beans and it packs it in there and it brews me a nice crema cup of coffee. I hate when I get up in the morning, I hit that button that says fill water tank. I hate that. I hate it. It takes one little step and I just got to pour water in it, but it just irritates me. And I'm instantly angry at Stacy for two seconds, even though she barely uses the machine. It's always me, but it's always her who leaves it empty. You know, just kidding. It's not always you. It's usually me. I hate that. But listen, the grace of God is not a full coffee automat. It never runs out. Somebody say amen. The grace of God never runs out. It never is empty. We can always count on it. Now, this doesn't mean that we run around and we sin on purpose, do what we know is wrong, counting on the grace of God. The Bible says that it's taking what Jesus did on the cross and it's stomping on it. 
It's stomping on it. It's treating it with disdain and disrespect. But the truth is we live in a fallen and broken world. And even if you're saved or been saved for 20-some years, you're still going to sin. And we are counting on the grace of God that is never empty. It is never used up. It is always flowing. The blood of Jesus always washes us, always cleanses us. And this great exchange is our holiness before God. Some of us are just trying to be somebody God can love. I want to tell you today, when you've made Jesus your Savior, you are, you were even before, somebody who God loves, but now you have been redeemed. You have been somebody who will be welcome into the kingdom, right? Because you have the grace of God over your life, right? You have accepted the sacrifice of Christ, and in that great exchange, you've given him your sin. He's taken away. He has given you his righteousness, by which we will have entry into the kingdom and eternal life with Jesus Christ. The restoration of the garden is the end of the story, In the beginning, God created, God was there. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created it for us. We are the pinnacle of his creation, and that pinnacle is restored when Jesus comes back. That pinnacle is restored, and things will be as it was created to be. We have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed hope in Jesus Christ, eternity with him. Now, this value on humanity, it's it's, it is, it's definitely, um, there's an example of it when we as the church love one another. But I think everybody in this room would agree that loving one another is the easy part of the equation. It's when we get to the part where it says love your enemies that things get difficult. And it's in that statement, and it's when we do that, when we love our enemies, is when we really demonstrate the love of Christ. Because everybody loves those who love them. Right? The Bible tells us as much. It's when, you, when you are good to somebody who's good to you, there's no benefit. But when you are good to somebody who's bad to you, well, that really demonstrates the love of Christ. And you think about Jesus, who was before Pilate, who he created. So funny to me. He submits himself to Pilate's judgment. Right? He created Pilate, created Herod, that fat, slothful ruler of a king. He created him, he created Pilate, and he submits himself to their judgment and receives their condemnation. The people who he created, the people who he was going to the cross to save, spat on him and hurled insults at him and demanded that Barabbas, a rebel, be be returned instead of Jesus. Betrayed by everybody, but he demonstrated love for his enemies on a scale that we'll never understand. He came to show us the Father, the heart of the Father. I want to tell you in this story, you're God's enemy. We have all made ourselves an enemy of God through sin. But when we repent and turn away from our sin and turn our hearts towards God, we're put back in a right relationship with God. That's only possible because Jesus first loved his enemies. The Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. It's easy to love Jesus, right? Because he loved us first. It's easy to love Jesus because he demonstrated what it is to love me, his enemy, who I, I made myself Christ's enemy. Church, we look more like Jesus when we love our enemies, when we serve those who don't deserve to be served, when we honor those who don't deserve to be honored. We look like Jesus. We're reflecting his glory, and it stands out to people because the world loves people who love them too. 
Our dignity, our purpose rests in the idea that we are made in the image of God. And while the world may reject this idea and accept theories that are beyond, to me, ridiculous, and they may say the same of us, we are created in God's image. We are saved by the blood of Christ. We have nothing to prove to anyone. We're not trying to earn anything. Jesus has made it all possible. Understanding that we've been created in God's image should change the way we see the world. It should change the way we react to humanity around us. It should definitely change the way we vote. It should change the way our political views are. It should change the way we work. It should change the way we husband and father. It should have a profound impact on who we are, being created in God's image, that we are here to represent him, to know him and make him known. Our mission is to be a Jesus for other people to see, to, to just have God moving in us in such a way that it's impossible to ignore. I like to refer to this as operating from the overflow, right? So we are filled, we're saved. Then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And through prayer and through, through studying God's word and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, the presence of God becomes impossible to ignore. Like I said earlier, I've been putting lights in all week, so all the rooms have been dark. Jordan and I put his ceiling fan in his living room yesterday, which was a dark wasteland until yesterday, right? I mean, he'd be in there and studying until, you know, we don't have candles, so until the lights went out, then he'd have to go into his bedroom. But we put a light in there yesterday. Even a very small light illuminates a completely dark room, you know? You know this, too, from driving in Germany. Uh, there's not many street lights here. And once in a while, Stacy will see a street light and we'll be like, oh, there's a light. You know, I can see the road again, especially in the rain. It's just difficult to drive for me here. And there's just like one little light lights up a huge area. And one Christian in even a hostile work environment under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the presence of God on a daily basis can bring light to that darkness. And what a wonderful light it is, Right. Because we alone in all of creation are called to know God and represent Him on the earth. We are Stuttgart Missional Community Church. That means that we are we're not Stuttgart Pastoral Community Church. We're Missional Community Church. That means that each one of us owns the responsibility to be that light in the darkness. To be that light, to represent Christ well. That's part of who we are. It's in our DNA. You may not all be missionaries per se, but your mission is to represent Christ well wherever you find yourself throughout the week. We are made in the image of God, called to know Him and represent Him well. Amen? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.